Hey, it's Andrew. Just quickly before we start this episode, I want to tell you about one of my favorite podcasts, the Secure Ventures Podcast. The host, Kyle McNulty, interviews cybersecurity founders about what they are building. I enjoy it because Kyle focuses on their technology, what it solves, why they build it, where it fits in the market. Also, listeners can understand the why of these startups. In some ways, it's a great compliment to my own podcast, where I focus on the go-to-market side, not on the technology side. He's had some great guests on recently, for example, the CEO of Reality Defender, when they talked about the ins and outs of deep fate detection. Uh, he's had the co-founder and CEO of Ghost Security, and also the co-founder of Radical, Chris Peterson, who was incidentally a founder of Logarithm, where they talk about the role of AI in the SOC. This is not a paid promotion. I just simply enjoy what Kyle is doing with his interviews and get a lot out of them. Check it out. It's the Secure Ventures podcast. Now on with this episode. If you've listened to the podcast for a while, you'll get this sense that I have a soft spot for data protection companies. So I love it when I get to chat to a founder who's working on actually protecting data and not just all things round about it. Paul Lewis is the founder and CEO of Calamu, and they're going to be at the early stage expo at RSA at the end of April. And Calamu is approaching protecting the data in a novel way. Stay tuned to the episode to find out what that is. Find out how he came to realizing this was something worth working on and how he has started his selling activities. Welcome to the Sales Bluebird podcast, where we help cybersecurity companies grow sales faster. Whether you're a seller, marketer, leader, or founder, we give you tips, tricks, experiences, examples, ideas, and inspiration from people who know a thing or ten about building great cybersecurity companies. I am your host, Andrew Monahan. Our guest today is Paul Lewis, founder and CEO at Calamu. Paul, welcome to Sales Bluebird. Thanks, Andrew. Great to be here. I'm looking forward to our discussion, Paul, because you've got a rich history of being an entrepreneur. Uh, being a founder, leading companies, and now you're in a segment of the market is very interesting to me and the things that you got going on there. So I'm looking forward to understanding how you would approach this as one of the many companies that you started over the years and what you've learned about how to do it effectively so we can inspire other potential founders or other founders going through the process right now to really grow and, and, and go about you know, changing the world as we're all trying to do. But Paul, before we get to the, the business side of this, let's get to know you a little bit. I've got uh, a list of 35 questions here. Can you pick three random numbers between 1 and 35, and I'll read out the question. So my lucky number is 2, so let's do 2, 12, and 22. There you go. I love that. So number two, favorite action movie of all time? Oh, gosh. Favorite action movie. I mean, you know, I'm going to have to go with Last of the Mohicans. Maybe not everybody considers that to be an action movie, but I think there was a lot of action that was in that movie and a lot of lesson in that movie as well. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go with that. Maybe a corny answer, but that's my answer. You know, uh, I remember the movie. I don't remember the details. It's quite a few years since I've seen it, but uh, I do remember there's a lot of action and some of it's a little bit gory as well. If I, if I recall correctly. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. So, you know, I think, I think some hard life lessons, but if you haven't seen the movie, go check it out. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Number 12 is early bird or night owl. Uh, a little bit of both. So I, when I'm a night owl, I'm not going to be an early bird the next day, but I don't really follow a, I don't really follow a, a format. Um, sometimes I work way into the wee hours of the morning, and other times I'll get up at 4 a.m. and just kind of pick up and go. Very good. All right. And 22 is, what's the most used app on your phone? Um, gosh, uh, 
I'm going to say, I'm going to say iMessages. I'm going to have to say with iMessages or, um, or find my iPhone because I, I have four kids and I'm kind of always tracking them down and watching where they are. So I think between the two of those. Find their iPhones. Where are they? Where in the, where in the neighborhood are they? We find that a lot. Like which house are they at right now? Um, yeah, uh, I get both of those actually. That's, uh, same for me, probably. Um, no, Paul, going back to uh, early days, how did you first make money as a kid? Um, you know, I was kind of that kid that always wanted to have the lemonade stand or was always um, offering myself out for services, cleaning garage, uh, garages, um, shoveling driveways, snow off driveways, just anything that I could do. To I, I just had this entrepreneurial bug to try to see if I could work hard and convert that into cash. And it was just fun money for me. Fun money. Very good. And then what was your first real job when you went into the big, bad world? Um, my first real job was an intern, actually, an internship that I, I had uh, when I was in college, and it was with AT&T. And AT&T is a great company, but you know, I noticed right away, so the summer that I was working at AT&T, I, you, know, you walk in the door at 8.30, and then you take a coffee break at 10.15, and then you have lunch at 12, and then... 4.15, you start winding down for the day, and then you, everybody kind of walks out together. And I said, if I've got to do this for the rest of my life, I, I, I am not going to make it. I can't do this. I can't be this regular creature of habit. Um, didn't know it then, but that was, I guess, the first indications that I was really an entrepreneur. And what did you do at college? What was your major? My major in college was computer science and actually launched my first business while I was in, in college. That's interesting. So you got the technical background, but you've been a kind of business founder, entrepreneur for many years after that. Uh, yep. So formal education in the technology and then uh, school of hard knocks for the business side. The real education out there in the, in the world. Yeah. Well, let, let's talk about that then. So uh, you founded six companies, you sold two. Uh, and a few years back, you founded Calamu. Take us back to that moment, that point in history. Where were you? What was the what was the thing that said, you know, we should probably do something about this? What was that moment for you? So, so, you know, I've been in security my entire career. And back when I had this moment, I was on the services side. So I was doing data forensics and incident response for global corporations and companies that were breached and no shortage of companies that were being breached. This is 10 years ago. And, the, you know, we still have the problem. It's magnified even today. Um, but back around 10 years ago, I really it really bothered me that we've got all of these great technology companies and all of these layers of defense, but somehow the bad guys are still winning. And I really spent a lot of time thinking about how do we how do we turn the tables on the bad guys? And the the moment of inspiration really came to me is, you know, one night I'm sitting on my front porch as I did often you know, after dinner and get the kids down and uh you know, my wife would would be inside doing something and I would just sit out there and kind of, you know, think about and brainstorm, how do we solve this problem? When my dog, who was sitting at my side, got up and literally picked up his bone and trotted across the street and dug a hole in the neighbor's yard and put his bone in the neighbor's yard and came back. And I, and I could swear he was smiling at me in the moonlight, but it dawned on me. I said, we've got to figure out how we could put our data in the public domain. He just put his most prized possession in the public domain. And he's fine with the security. And that was really the inspiration of the shift in mindset that I needed to figure out how do we look at things differently. Um, incidentally, my dog, who's up in doggy heaven now, his name was Calamucci. And in his honor, I named the, the company Calamu, which was his nickname. 
Oh, I love that. But you were you were in an instant response world, it sounded like, uh, in your job at the time, right? So you were just seeing these issues again and again and again. And uh, you kind of sit there, I imagine, saying, there must be a better way. Um, so it was all about, you know, with incident response, it's how quickly do you understand that you have a problem and how quickly can you recover from that problem? So it's T plus something. And I was trying to figure out how do we make it T minus something? So instead of, you know, instead of putting the, the, uh, the loaded bank money in the, in the bank bag, uh, for the thief and waiting for them to steal it and then opening it and getting sprayed with ink, how do we prevent the thief from getting it in the first place? And, um, yeah, and that's, that's what Calamoo is about. So instead of trying to help companies after they got attacked, I wanted to try to help companies before they got attacked or during the attack and have them just brush it off. So one of the things I'm interested in, Paul, is, you know, you get that moment that says, okay, I've got a thing I, I need to probably do some research and get into it. But how do you actually start, though? What's the first thing? Do you go and hire a couple of developers? Do you, do you got a buddy that you know that would work on with you? What, what's the next couple of steps you go through? Well, so, the, I mean, the first thing I did is I was working, I was actually leading the cyber uh, group at a consulting company in New York City. And the first thing I did is I went to the CEO and I said, hey, I have this really great idea. I don't really think it aligns with this company, but I want to disclose it. So I wanted to make sure that, you know, I didn't want to do anything secretive. I didn't, I wanted everything to be above board. So I got the whole thing carved out of my employment agreement with HR, which I think is a really important first step if you're working somewhere else. Uh, and then I, and I also had his, um, his endorsement, the CEO's endorsement. He was actually my first investor in the company. Um, first thing I did was a lot more research. Uh, I and I searched for intellectual property and patents and was surprised that I couldn't find anything. But I'm just an amateur doing this research. Uh, and I filed a patent and I filed a patent on the initial concept and the initial technology and didn't really think much of it. I was excited about it, but I kind of thought that the patent office was going to come back and say, you know, nice try. But, you know, there's a thousand other patents similar to this. And this was, by the way, this was invented 80 years ago. And right. I was kind of expecting that kind of response. But the patent was issued. and in the, in the meantime, I had filed a second patent. And when the second patent was issued and I got the notification, I went back to my CEO and I said, I got to jump. This is, this is my sign. And I got to kind of go all in on this. And I told you I have, have four kids at the time I had three kids in college. Um, so, you know, difficult financial decision when you've got a lot of expenses, but I kind of know me and I know that if I don't go all in, then I'm not going to do a, a good job. So you got to you got to jump off the cliff with both feet. And then did you, did you hire some developers to start working, or did you know enough to code yourself? Um, so I know I know enough to code a little bit myself. I used to be a lot better in the the good old days, like the Turbo Pascal days. But um, uh, what I did was I I first for proof of concept I hired uh, a development an offshore development team. Um, with my own money, just to make sure that this whole thing could actually work and and function. And when that came back positive, I said, "Okay, I'm gonna you know I'm gonna fund this a little bit further and hire some um, domestic contractors to to start from scratch because I I just felt uncomfortable with a security product that I offshored just to somebody I found on the internet, and um, they didn't really know what the big grand scheme was, but the you know so there was a, there was enough of a secret there." But I wanted to kind of start all over with coding, which I did. Um, built out kind of a, a proof of concept or a, you know a basic MVP, and then at that point, um, 
I started talking to potential customers, but it was still really early on, and also started talking to angel investors about funding, uh, pri- providing additional funding. So at that point there, you're, you're guiding the, the uh, contractors, but you've got two prongs. I need to get my first customers, and I need to get uh, some money, some investment as well. Um, yeah. Was it tough to juggle all that at the same time, or did it come pretty naturally? Um, no, I mean, it's, it's tough to juggle, right? I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stress with this whole thing, right? So, you know, this was, this was, um, you know, very early in 2019 and now I'm all in, right. And I have no income and I'm spending my own money and I've got, you know, kids that I'm paying their tuition for. And when I finally got it to a point where I said, okay, now, you know, this all makes sense. Let me really lean in and go to the investment community. Um, that was the beginning of 2020. So now we all know what happened in March of 2020, which uh, was bad timing for me, but I had to persevere. I had to go on. I had to I had to move forward um, and did. And then as you were doing all that, was there a moment in in the progress where you thought, ah, I don't know if it's going to work out. <laughs> you got some barriers in your way or something came up. Was there that moment in the in the process? Um, you know, it's I have a lot of scars, so I know it's never easy. And I, it's, it's a lot of hard work. It's a lot more work than most people think. Um, but I always believed in the mission. I always believed in the outcome. Um, I'm a hundred percent committed to solving this problem and trying to make the cyber world a safer place, which is desperately needed. So this was not about necessarily building a successful business and making a lot of money, but it was more about trying to solve this problem. And I'm very focused on that. We'll come back to that in just one second. Final question about the starting up process. You mentioned there people might not realize how tough it is. What's the big misconception people have about starting a cybersecurity company? Well, starting any company takes fundamentals, right? And at the end of the day, it comes down to you got to be cash flow positive. Like you got to got to figure out how you're gonna you know, how this thing is gonna make money. So I think you know, what I've seen is if people go into the process trying, if their goal is like to try to make money, that's, you probably shouldn't do that at all. Right. And I, and I advise people that have a great idea and they want to make a you know gazillion dollars. I'm like, well, I don't try to start a business then because I don't think it's going to, you know, that can't be your goal. You have to really be going after solving a problem. So, you know, the biggest, I think the biggest misconception or the biggest mistake is people don't go into it trying to solve a problem. And then if they're not trying to solve a problem, they're not going to stay in it and persevere and go through the ups and downs. Okay. Yeah, I love that, actually. That's a good point. Um, so let's talk about Kalamu then. If, if I was a CISO, and I'm, let's say this is weird, but I'm only 12 years old, uh, how would you answer my question, what does Kalamu do? Kalamu protects your data in a way that cannot be, no other product can protect it today. There's a lot of companies that keep the bad actor out of your data by protecting the systems that house your data. So the whole world is kind of, you know, we've kind of built this security mentality that we're trying to protect the systems rather than protecting the data, which is really what's of value and really what the bad guy wants. So Calamu kind of shifts that. And instead of protecting the systems, we start uh, with the premise that the bad actor has reached the data and we protect the data itself. All other systems have been bypassed at that point. So in all contexts of the data, where it's a mobile or a database or the cloud, or, or do you have certain aspects you focus on? Well, we're gonna one day we're gonna be all data, and that's you know that's our our mission, that's our goal. 
Uh, but today we work very well on unstructured data and data at rest and you know data in motion in a in a static format so not transactional data not database although that is on our roadmap um but today we work very well with unstructured data and to get technical just for a second when you say protect are you encrypting it or are you somehow controlling access to it so we have um we've been we've been called encryption on steroids and what we're doing is we transform the data using mul- multi layers of encryption and fragmentation and some other things we transform and geodisperse the data so that if a, a system is compromised and data is removed, um, the the attacker only gets valueless digital sludge. They don't get anything of value. They don't get any real data. They only get a subset of the data. So they only get kind of encrypted fragments of encrypted data. They don't even know that they don't have all the pieces necessary to, to put it together. So it's geodispersed, kind of combining physical security uh, and cybersecurity to really confuse the bad guy. That sounds interesting. You know, I, I've heard of this concept before. And I'll tell you, every time I've heard of it, my, my thought is you got to have some really smart engineers to figure out how to do that really well because the demands and people getting the data again, it's going to get back to where someone needs to consume it pretty quickly and in a state where someone could use it, right? It's got to be near real time, right? I mean, and as we work towards fully transactional data, we're talking about you know, microsecond access to the data. So uh, we spent a lot of time and energy, not only on the security, but on the efficiency and how do we do this in a very expedient manner uh, and using cloud storage, right? So we've got bandwidth is always a constraint as well. Um, but we've built, I have some really, really smart engineers that are very much up to the challenge and have accomplished some incredible uh, hurdles and yeah, we're moving forward. That's awesome. What sort of uh, companies and what sort of people does this resonate with the most? Um, when you say companies and people, like who is there something similar or what do you? No, no, I mean prospects. Like, you know, what, what type of prospects are the ones that go, yeah, I get it. Well, you know, one of our biggest challenges is uh, you, you can't boil the ocean, right? So you have to start somewhere. This problem, though, is a ubiquitous problem. Every company has the problem of uh, data exfiltration or ransomware attacks or data manipulation. Every company has that problem. Um, so where we're focusing our attention is where we're going to get, you know, the quickest, where we're getting the quickest early traction. And that is around sensitive data, right? So the most sensitive data. So think financial services or think, uh, 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 health records, you know, things along those lines. So information that if it is leaked to the public would have a devastating effect, not only on the owner of the data, but who the data is also about. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. Um, when a prospect first sees the product, what's the thing that makes them go, wow, that is cool. That's going to be impactful for me. Yeah, I'm really proud to say that that happens all the time, right? So it doesn't happen half the time. It doesn't happen a third of the time. It actually happens all the time. Um, and when we get to the point where we show our process and kind of show our secret sauce on how we're geo distributing the data in a redundant manner, first off, we usually get wow, why didn't I think of that? Or wow, that's like so eloquent that it's simple. Or, or wow, how come the whole world isn't already doing this? So we, we do get a lot of wow factor with, uh, with the process. But I bet you get pretty quickly thereafter the questions, well, how? And, and you know, they're thinking in their minds how this is, gonna, is not going to work for them sometimes, right? What about this? And the, what about that? What sort of questions usually get? Yeah, I mean, you know, they, they try to 
poke holes in, you know, what if your credentials are stolen and, and someone logs in through the Calamu portal? And I'm like, well, you know, if it's not you, it's not, you know, if they're using your credentials, if someone walked up to me right now and hit me in the back of the head with a bat, they have access to my computer, right? So whatever is open, they have access to. Now, we have some cool things that we're working on that actually will prevent even that. So stop that from happening. Um, but, you know, they're not ready. They're not ready for prime time today. But, you know, yeah, companies try to poke holes. Uh, we used to use the term, we, are, we have a breach-proof solution. And that would get us a lot of meetings and it would get a lot of debate, like right off the bat. Like, how can you say breach proof? You know, you know, immediately putting us on the defensive. So we've softened our, our marketing messaging a little bit, um, but we still get a lot of disbelief as we're talking about the benefit. And then when we show the process, they're like, wow, yeah, you're right. Like this is, this does work. Oh, I love that. Tell me about the day that you won your first real live paying customer at Calamu. Um, so like, you know, like a lot of startup companies, software companies, you have a product that, uh, you're dying to have somebody prove that there's value to it by paying you money for it. Right. And you install it and you kind of have your fingers crossed that it's even going to get through the installation process. And you know that there are bugs that you haven't identified yet. And you never know really where that tipping point is, where you go from just doing demos until you get to someone that says, okay, I'll pay you money for it um and you know we got to that point about a year ago where we had we closed our first sale a little over a year ago and um it was just it just felt great that you know we kind of celebrated that we now have somebody that believes enough in us to open up their pocketbook and pay us money for something that we created out of nothing so very gratifying and was the whole company waiting for the po to come in were they expecting it and ready to celebrate yeah yeah yep Yep. And then we did, you know, we did celebrate. We actually celebrated more when the, the money hit the account because we said, hey, this is the first time we ever had money come into our account. <laughs> I love that. I remember uh, years ago when I was in in, uh, in sales, uh, I used to think that the moment of money coming in or getting POs was a big thing for sales. But then I, I hung up with some developers one time and they said, no, it's really important for them as well because it shows I'm working on stuff that's so valuable that big companies will actually pay money for this. And that's a gratifying thing for them. And it's something I never thought of uh, back in the day. So let's move on to the sales team, Paul. Uh, tell us about your sales team right now and, and how they're structured. So we have, so we're, we're kind of multifaceted, right? So we have a combination of a direct sales effort. Uh, we're also, we're also uh, marketing and selling to the channel. Um, and then we're also looking at strategic partnerships as well. So we're still figuring that part out, right? So I'm not sure if we're going to be a direct sales, if, if we'll ultimately be a direct sales model. So we're kind of trying a few different things and we have folks that are, you know, covering each of those things uh, and small teams on each of those things. And, and we're going to see which one is going to make the most sense for us to scale. Okay. So you're trying different channels and seeing which one's going to get the most traction quickest, right? The, our, our biggest problem is um, it's a ubiquitous problem. Right. So the, the total addressable market is gigantic. And I know that's no excuse, right? Everybody thinks the, the total addressable market is gigantic, but in this case, it really is everybody. Uh, so we're trying to figure out what is going to be the, how, how do we most effectively conquer this problem, uh, in the best possible way? So we're actually talking to super large enterprise and we're having very engaging discussions with, with very large global enterprise all the way down to SMB. And, and uh, you know, there's no shortage of attention across the whole spectrum. In fact, 
I don't want to be a consumer play, but you know, we've also been questioned, hey, this would be a great consumer play where you can actually protect end user, you know, end user data or endpoint data, uh, which is true, but we've got to, we have to focus. So we're we're trying our experiments on the direct sales side from SMB to mid-tier to enterprise. Um, we're getting the most attention really on on um, you know both sides of the bell curve. So on the SMB side and on the large enterprise side. Not so much in the mid-tier. They're, you know, they're either moving slowly or they're, you know, they think they've got it kind of covered a different way. But um, one of the things that we solve for is ransomware. And in SMB, a lot of companies are terrified of ransomware, don't even know really how to approach it or how to, you know, what they need to do with it. On the large enterprise, they're concerned with ransomware, but they're really more concerned about the data exfiltration or the double extortion part of ransomware. So two different value props. Uh, and then my guess is mid-tier kind of thinks they've got everything covered or they don't have budget or, you know, they don't want to go for a different change uh, in strategy or they already have sunk cost in what they've deployed and have to hope and keep their fingers crossed that that doesn't get breached. But kind of interesting, you know, what we're learning. On the channel side, we're seeing a lot of activity uh, because the channel sees this as a definite add-on, right, and a definite value add for for them servicing their clients. Uh, and then on the partner side, which is really most appealing to me, we have um, str- you know, large companies that could have a very strategic play by implementing the Calamoo process into something that they've got uh, already deployed. And when you say the channel, is that the traditional security channel um, you're talking about? Or have you had a different channel? Yeah, MSP. Oh, MS- MSP. Okay. Yep. So, yep. Yep. So, you know, the, uh, the folks that take care of your network and, and that sort of thing, all the security around it. So, Paul, if you could wave your magic wand and fix one thing for your sales team right now, what would that be? Um, I think it's awareness of a different way to approach the problem. We've all kind of the whole world kind of has been uh, programmed. You go to RSA and Black Hat and all the security conferences where we've got, I like to say we have 3,000 companies selling the same 10 things. Um, And with no discredit to, you know, we need those 10 things. They're desperately needed. But they're all about really layered security and how do we detect a problem quickly and how do we react to a problem quickly instead of really going to the heart of the problem, which is let's protect the data and make the data useless and valueless if something happens, you know, if the data leaves your system. So if I could wave a magic wand, I would have the whole world have that little tiny nugget of education that let's not, you know, let's not build another moat. Let's protect the crown jewels, to use an old analogy. Yeah, I would imagine there's people out there who are probably already thinking about things like that. Maybe not specifically how you're doing it, but uh, their philosophy is, you know, data and their philosophy is there must be a way to do this differently than before. Have you found people that are already thinking like that or is it all just education? Um, No, the whole world is thinking about it, but we're kind of the whole world is kind of a step behind, I think, in my opinion. So we're looking at things like immutable storage, which solves part of the problem. We're looking at air gapping your data, which kind of solves part of the problem as well. But, you know, immutable and air gapped doesn't really allow the data to be interacted with very easily. You know, air gapped and putting your data in the side of a mountain, you know, what do you, how are you going to, how do you use it? How, how do you have a database working with something that's air gapped? And then immutable is just storing a lot of information, right? And just, you know, just writing it and never allowing it to be rewritten or changed, which isn't really practical. So you mentioned the idea of the education would be good. Getting attention is hard as well. How, how, what, what things are you doing right now to get attention for what you're doing? 
well, there's a lot of noise, right? And, you, you know, so we have a good solution for ransomware. And so does every other company that you ask, right? Everybody has a solution to ransomware, even though maybe it's not really a solution to ransomware. So cutting through the noise is really important. Uh, and we're challenged with that because there's a lot of buzzwords. There's a lot of, you know, new technology. There's a lot of, you know, flashing lights. And we're trying to just kind of come into the root cause and say, this is what we do. We're trying to whittle our message down to the one thing and really simplify our messaging around the one thing. Um, we think we have so many benefits that we bring that it's, you know, we're, we're, we're struggling to get that down into just the one statement or the one thing, but the team is working really hard on doing that now. Yeah. It feels sometimes that you've got to take the 15 things and say, well, what's the level up or the level up from that? That would be a good way to summarize most of these things. And that's not easy to do, right? Because you want the input from the team, but everyone's got different opinions and trying to get them uh, all together can be tough at times. Yeah, it, it, you know, it's a challenge, but it's a you know, necessary thing to kind of work through. Um, and I've got, I have a great team and we all see the top of Mount Everest and, you know, we're all trying to figure out the best route to get up there. We all know that we have to be on the same route. So, uh, you know, we're looking at the goal, we're looking at the end goal and we're trying to figure out how to make that happen. That's awesome. Well, talk, let's talk about that then. What is the big vision for Calamu over the next, next two or three years? Uh, so look, I mean, we have a big goal, probably, you know, well beyond two or three years, but we have a big goal to protecting all data. Right. So whether it's Calamu or a solution like Calamu, we think that this new concept of geodispersed kind of the, the process that we're using should be the de facto standard for primary storage. Um, so that's really our big vision is how do we have this applied to all data types today? Unstructured data very well, but we know we need to move into, you know, highly transactional databases and very fast moving data. Um, and uh, and and that's our that's our big goal. Now, if we look at two to three years out. We want to kind of, you know, chip away at some of the, the major primary storage, not, not providers or solutions, but the way that they're architected and we want to embed and we want to complement and we want to bring an additional benefit, uh, to some of those solutions. So that's kind of what we're, you know, where we're focused on with some of our partnerships, um, for the next maybe two to three years. I love that big vision. I mean, you and I are aligned on the importance of, of doing it actually at the data level and, you know, the idea is that, you know, in, in trying to protect data, uh, it seems like the industry has done everything except for protect the data. It's like, how, how close can we get to it without actually touching it? Because it's a little bit scared of, of doing it, right? Um, but having the, the awareness and also the, the chops to be able to pull this off is, uh, is going to be huge. Um, Paul, I really enjoyed the conversation today. If someone wants to continue talking to you or they want to hit you up for potential jobs and things like that, what's the best way for them to reach out? Uh, well, certainly they can visit our website, which is www.calamu.com. It's C-A-L-A-M-U. Uh, or they can email me if they'd like to email me directly at plewis at calamu.com as well. I know you've got a giant listenership, so I probably shouldn't have just given out that email address, but <laughs> I try to respond to all of them. I'll, I'll try to respond to all of them. Yeah, that's great. I appreciate you doing that. Uh, yeah, I truly enjoyed the conversation. You're in a great area. It's really, really compelling for a lot of people when they really think about alternatives the way they've been doing it for a while. And I wish you every success for 2023 and also for the early stage expo at RSA. Great. Thanks so much, Andrew. Pleasure being here. Really enjoyed it. Well, that was a lot of fun. Paul's obviously a very compelling uh, person, engaging uh, interviewee for these podcasts. He, he knows the world he's operating in very well and has been doing this for long enough to have learned a lot along the way. 
So I, I did really enjoy that conversation with him. Three takeaways for me. One is that um, novel approaches to solving these types of problems are definitely needed, but it's interesting when you have to do the required education of the market, but also in, a, in selling situations, you have to do education as well. How do you get that balance between uh, wanting to get some business, but also understand that you got to educate people on the way? That's something that they've been tackling and thinking about. Second thing was uh, Paul is experimenting a little bit with different sales channels. He talked about those on on the interview. Um, and what's interesting is, you know, you don't know what's going to really hit home until you actually go and have conversations with people. I think too often when we're doing customer development things at an early stage, we focus on just the end user buyers and, and they're important. But uh, it's interesting as you get to the stage of trying to think about, well, how do we go and reach these people that uh, you don't ignore having the customer development conversations with the different channels as well. I think that's an important part of the process that Paul talked about. And thirdly, those wow moments that he said, you know, he said that uh, they're lucky in that the way they demo, the way they do those first meetings, almost every one or every single meeting has that moment where the prospect sits there and goes, wow, that's, that's different. Wow, that's cool. Um, and I think, uh, you know, not everyone has the luxury, I think, of having every single meeting end up like that. But it is something to be intentional about, right? I don't think you leave it the chance to say that you'll get to the point or get to the, 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 um, the moment, the demo or the deck or it might be where that why moment happens. Is you have to engineer these calls to make sure that your highest chance of someone sitting there going, whoa, wait a minute, I've not seen that before. How do you do that? Uh, what's the impact of that? You know, stop right there. Go back again. That's those wild moments you want to engineer those first conversations for. So as I said, you know, those are my three takeaways. I'm sure you had yours as well. I really enjoyed that conversation with Paul Lewis, the CEO of Calamoo. And I wish them about, uh, all the best for the rest of the year. It would mean a lot to me and to the continued growth of the show if you'd help get the word out. So how do you do that easily? There are two ways. Firstly, just simply send a link to a friend. Send a link to the show, to this episode. Um, you can email it, text it, Slack it, whatever works for you and is easy for you. The second way is to leave a super quick rating. And sometimes that can seem complicated, so I've made it as easy for you as I can. You simply have to go to ratethispodcast.com slash cyber. That's ratethispodcast.com slash cyber and explains exactly how to do it. Either of these ways will take you less than 30 seconds to do and it will mean the world to me. So thank you.